morning, church. Uh, if you'd like to follow along in the Pew Bible in front of you, the page will be 886. We will be reading from John 1, 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And in him was the life, and the life was of the light of men. Well, welcome again, everyone. Thank you for being here this morning. We, are, we have entered into, in the, in the church calendar, this is called Advent. So this is the first Sunday of Advent. And I think I might have said it in my prayer, Advent means arrival. It carries the idea of waiting for something. And also, like I, I prayed about, maybe you, you came in this morning waiting for something. Maybe you're waiting for this present that I have right up here. And you're thinking, man, I hope that's for me. It's not. It's just an empty box. It's a prop. So if you want an empty box, you're welcome to grab it afterwards. Our Advent series will be called The Word Became Flesh, and we're going to be in John's Gospel, John chapter 1, and over the next five weeks, we're going to work our way through the first 18 verses of John's Gospel. And you might be thinking, well, John's Gospel, that's not very Christmassy, but actually it is. It's actually the story behind the story. There's no, there's, there's no mangers in John 1. There's no shepherds in John 1, no wise men in John 1, but there is a lot of glorious, glorious truth in John 1. And we're going to try to unpack it a little bit at a time each week as we go. And we're off to a great start this morning. We'll be looking at the first four verses of John chapter 1. Today's sermon is called, In Him Was Life. John 1, 1 through 4. So if you haven't found it already, John chapter 1. You know, John's thesis sentence for the book is actually at the end of, of his gospel account. Here it is, John chapter 20, verse 31. He says, these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. That's the purpose of John's gospel. These, why, why'd you write this, John? What are you talking about? Why'd you write? These are written that you might believe that Jesus, the historic Jesus of Nazareth, the man, the human being who lived, is the Christ, is the hero. He is humanity's hero. He is the Messiah the Jewish Old Testament Messiah who has come to save humanity, but beyond that, He is also the Son of God. So He's not, on, not only human, He is divine. He is the Son of God. And that believing, simply believing, by simply placing your trust in Him, you may have life. You may have the free gift of eternal life the free gift of eternal life. How many of you are going to have to earn your Christmas presents this year? All the kids' hands are like, yeah, I got it. My parents have already threatened me. 
either get it together or no Christmas. I hope you're not doing that, mom and dad. See, it's supposed to be about grace, isn't it? It's supposed to be, I hand you a gift, and by simply believing that I am a good gift giver who loves you, you take the gift, you receive the gift. And if I truly believe in this gift, what am I going to do with it after I receive it? I'm going to tear that paper off. I'm going to open it up, and I'm going to use it. See, Jesus is offering us a gift this Advent season, isn't He? He's offering us the gift of life, eternal life. But you got to receive it. you got to take it. you got, you got to be willing to say, yeah, I, I think that God is a good gift giver. I trust that the gift He's handing to me is right and good and true and ultimate. And so I will receive it, and I will open it up, and I'll say, yes, I want Jesus' life to be my life. That's the story of Christmas, isn't it? That's what Christmas is all about. And so this morning, we're going to ask the question, why? Why Jesus? Why take His life? What's so great about that guy? Why is He so important? And so that's John chapter 1, that God is offering us Himself. He's offering us Himself in a receivable form, the life of Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have us just look ahead. I'm going to cheat a little bit. Look ahead to John 1, 14. Just let your eyes go down to verse 14. The Word became what? Flesh and dwelt among us. Okay, because we're going we're gonna to be up here in the clouds today. John 1, 1 through 4 is kind of up in the clouds. But the Word became flesh. I want to show you where the story's going. The Word became flesh. And then in verse 17, let your eyes go down to verse 17. In verse 17, John finally names the person he's been talking about for 16 verses, 17 verses. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Okay? I want to make sure we understand. So when I'm up here talking about the Word, and I'm up here talking about logos, and I'm talking all this fancy-schmancy stuff up in the clouds, I want you to know that we're talking about Jesus Christ. Okay? Jesus Christ. I have two lessons for us this morning. Lesson one, this Christmas stand in awe at the wonder of the Word. This Christmas, stand in awe at the wonder of the Word. Do you know that song, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year? Does everybody else love that song? I'm not going to sing it. I know you want me to. I'm not. Why is it the most wonderful time of the year? Well, because there's kids jingle belling and everyone telling you tales of good cheer. It's also, did you know that it's also the happiest season of all? Because there's mistletoeing and glowing and marshmallows and ghost stories and all that good stuff. It's wonderful. It's wonderful. But you know, everything in that song, the entire list in that song is all stuff that just kind of goes away after a while, doesn't it? You eat all the marshmallows. 
The ghost stories get kind of tired after a while. The kids lose their jingle bells. And the vacation time runs out and you're back to work. No more tales of good cheer. It's, it's not eternal, is it? It doesn't last forever, does it? You see, what John's going to do is he's going to take us into the most wonderful time in eternity. A time that goes on forever in both directions. And not only that, he's going to introduce us to the most wonderful person in eternity. So, I'm going to give us a few things here that we want to stand in awe of this season. Stand in awe at the wonder of seeing eternity. It starts out, in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, John 1.1. In the beginning. Now, if you've been to Sunday school, if you know your Bible a little bit, you know those words. You've heard those words before. The whole Bible starts that way, doesn't it? In the beginning, God created. So, so John's pretty audacious. He's starting his book the same way the whole book starts. And basically what he's saying is, I'm, I want to give you a glimpse into eternity past. I want to give you a glimpse into the time before time. I want to give you, I want to pull back the curtain and show you what was happening before there was anything, even before Genesis 1-1. I'm going back further than Genesis 1. I'm going back beyond that. And what do we see when we pull back that curtain? That's where he's taking us. He might also be using these words to, to make us think about beginning, in the beginning. Man, don't we all need a beginning? How many of you in here this morning could just use a new beginning? Like 2020, 2021, can we just push it all aside and like have a do-over? Isn't that what we look forward to? Like January, new year, new beginnings, new year, new you, all of that. A new beginning. You see, John is saying an ultimate new beginning is here. It's happening. It's coming. It's breaking in. It's, uh, it, it's, uh, it's yours for the taking. It's yours for the taking. Stand in awe at the wonder of knowing God. He says, was the Word. In the beginning, was the Word. You know somebody by their words, don't you? You can, you can know them in other ways. Sure, you, you know somebody by what they do. But you really know somebody by what they say, by the words that come out of their mouth. You can tell a person's heart by what they say, by what they talk about, what their conversations are. God is no different. We know God by what He has said. What He has, you know, Christian, we rely on that every week when we come in here, don't we? That this isn't just some random book, is it? That this is God telling us about God. The Bible's not a book about you and me, is it? It's a book about God. How we can know Him, we can know His heart, we can know what He's about. And then in knowing Him, we can become like Him. 
In the beginning was the Word. So our mind goes to Genesis. In, in Genesis, God spoke things into creation, didn't He? Into being. God said, let there be light. There was light. God said, let the water be separated from the sky, and that happened. And on and on it goes. And so God spoke, and we learn not just what He's making, but we learn about Him. We see His goodness. We see His love in what His Word is saying and the result of His Word. In the beginning was the Word. So everybody that's reading this is going to see that word, word, and they're going to say, oh, I know what that means. If you're Jewish, you're going to say the Word of God, right? They're all about the Word of God, aren't they? They hear the Word of God. They read the Word of God, just like us. They preach the Word of God. They are deep into the Word of God. They know the Word of God, the Scripture, the wisdom literature, the prophets, the law, and it's their life, and by observing the Word of God, they remain in covenant community with God. So that's how the Jews would hear that Word. In the beginning was God's Word. Amen. They would say, Amen. The Greeks who are hearing this would hear the, word, the Greek word logos, and they would have a little bit different thought because to them, the logos is basically the instruction manual for the universe. If the cosmos is that Ikea bookshelf, the logos are those terrible instructions you get in the box with the little pictures that nobody can interpret. When you look at those pictures, <laughs> right, exactly, only a select few, only the brightest, only like those of you with a degree in engineering who throw the, you know, they throw the, them aside and just build it. You look at that and you say, I have interpreted the logos. I now understand the mysteries of Ikea or the cosmos, whichever it is. So they're going to hear this word and say, yes, in the beginning was, were the instructions, were, was ultimate reality. Yes, and amen. They would agree. Everybody's agreeing so far. But John is going to, is going to give us a little bit of a plot twist, isn't he? He's going to say that the Word is a person. The Word is a person. It's a person that is from God. God the person with a person coming from God. What? How in the world could anybody even grasp that? And it is hard to grasp, isn't it? <laughs> this is deep stuff, but it's important stuff. And here's why. Because it makes God relational. You see, if God's Word is just an instruction manual that we're all trying to figure out with the little pictograms and knocking our heads saying, what does this mean? If that was God, if that was how God communicated, only the best and the brightest and the smartest and those with all of the knowledge, the most scientific or the most self-controlled or the most moral or upright or righteous, only those people would figure out God, wouldn't they? And I don't know about you, but I, that excludes me. But what if God is a person? What if God is a person who comes to us and says, I want to have a relationship with you? You see, ever since, the, ever since Genesis 3, when mankind sinned, Adam and Eve sinned, when God showed up and started talking, what did people do? They went the other way. They hid themselves. 
So for, for thousands of years, God's been talking and people have been hiding. But John 1 is saying God's still talking. He hasn't quit. And it's not just God talking, <clears throat> it's God. He's not just sending a decree. He's not just sending an instruction book. He's not just sending a list of rules. He's not just sending Christian principles whereby to live your life. He's sending himself. He's sending himself. And he's saying, I love you. I love you so much that I would come. I would come to you. This Christmas, stand in awe at the wonder of perfect love. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John is teaching us the Christian doctrine of the Trinity. The Christian doctrine of the Trinity. He says two things that, again, make you want to just hit your head against a wall. The Word was with God. Okay, if he's with God, clearly he's not God, right? If, if I go stand next to Pastor Andrew and Andrew is with me, he's not me. We are two separate beings. So, okay, that makes sense. Got it. The Word is from God, but he's not God. Oh, but by the way, he also is God. Wait, what? That can't, wait, no, 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 John. The Word was with God. He's different from God, and He was God. He's the same as God. And really, that's what the whole rest of this book is going to try to help us understand. How does Jesus Christ of Nazareth do everything the Father says, get all of His orders from the Father, obey the Father as separate from the Father, and yet look at them and say, I am one with the Father. I am the I am. I am Yahweh God. How is that possible? We call it the Trinity. We don't totally understand it, do we? But again, here's why it's important. I don't need you to understand it. Here's what I need you to know. I need you to know why a trinity is so important. Because if God is a trinity, then God can be love. If God is a trinity, then God can be love. You see, if God is only one person in eternity past, He has no object for His love. He has no one loving Him, and He is loving no one. He's only a selfish being, isn't He? But if God is three people, three persons in one, then the Father can love the Son, and the Son can love the Father, and the Father can love the Spirit, and the Spirit can love the Father, and the Son can love the Spirit, and the Spirit can love the Son. And therefore, John can proclaim in, in his epistle, in his letter, God is love. Guys, I don't know about you, but that's some of the most comforting words in all of the Bible, aren't they? God is love. Okay, how do we know God loves us? Because Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, He was with God, and as we track with the story, He's going to leave His withness with God, and He's going to come to us. He's going to leave it all behind. In verse 18, it's going to say that Jesus was in the side of the Father. 
If you grew up on the King James, Jesus was in the Father's bosom. Remember that? He was in the side of the Father. That's what the word with means. Jesus was with God. He was in the Father's side, and He left that behind. He gave it up, and He came to earth. He took on flesh and dwelt among us. Perfect peace, perfect unity, perfect love, perfect acceptance, perfect honor, perfect respect. And He said, okay, I'm stepping down. Philippians 2, I will empty myself. I won't hold on to this. I know I trust you, Father, so much that I know I don't have to fight for my place up here. I don't have to duke it out with you. I can leave you, trusting you, that you'll have a place for me when I come back. That's love. Jesus not only was with God, he was God. Do you know what that means? It means that when Jesus came to earth for us, being, being God, being so full, having everything he could need, everything he could want, all the love, all the acceptance, all the glory, when he left, he did not do it to gain any of that. Jesus' love for us is so purely unconditional it's like nothing we've ever seen or experienced. We love those who love us back, don't we? We scratch the back of those who can scratch our back. We give to those who will give back. Not Jesus. Jesus left heaven to love an enemy. You. Me. Jesus left heaven not to earn any more love from his dad. <laughs> but to show that he was loved by his dad, by the Father, by the Spirit. That's love. Stand in awe at the wonder of creation. Stand in awe at the wonder of creation. All things, verse 3, all things were made through him. Without him, was not anything made that was made. Everything in creation, every tree, every blade of grass, every rock, every bird, every molecule, you, me, <laughs> we were made out of Jesus. Here's how Colossians says it. In Colossians 1.16, the Apostle Paul says, for by him, Jesus, he's talking about Jesus, all things were created. That word by, in, for in him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. All things were created in Jesus they were created through Jesus or by Jesus, and they were created unto Jesus. What does all that mean? It means that everything, everything physical, every material thing on this planet 
flows out of Christ, is for Christ, it's by Christ, it's literally made out of Christ. It was in Christ in eternity. Remember, we're pulling back the curtain. We're pulling back the curtain. And here's Christ, the eternal Christ. And inside of Him is everything needed for the creation of all things. And everything will be brought underneath Him, Ephesians 1. Everything on he- in heaven and on the earth will be brought underneath the rule and authority of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means God's in love with the material universe. Don't, Christian, don't make the mistake. Christians for 2,000 years have been making this mistake, and a lot of us still make it. Don't separate out the spiritual and the material. Oh, God only cares about the spiritual stuff. He doesn't care about our bodies. He only cares about our souls. No. God will resurrect your soul and your body, won't He? God's going to fix your body. God doesn't care about this planet. He doesn't care about our environment. He doesn't care about our stuff because God only cares about the deep spiritual things. No. No. That's actually a pagan thought. It's actually one of the main heresies that all the apostles battled against for years. I could talk about that all day. I'm not going to. Here's what it comes down to. Listen. Let everything, let everything around you, look at these decorations. Aren't they beautiful? Did anybody decorate? Raise your hand if you decorated your house yet for Christmas. God bless you. Good job. Come on, the rest of you, come on, let's go. I haven't either. I haven't either. We had people in our house all weekend. We have not breached the attic yet. It'll, it'll happen. Listen, and everything physical should point us to the reality of Christ Jesus. Everything physical should be a gateway into worship. Do we worship the physical? Okay. Wake up, because that was an easy one, class. <laughs> I, I was handing you an easy A. Class, do we worship the physical? No. Okay. We don't worship the creation, do we? We worship the Creator. But then what do we do with the creation? We let it be a gateway to worship. And listen, we enjoy it. We enjoy it. God has given us all things to enjoy. Christmas is a great time to just enjoy all things. Enjoy your decorations. And, and, and enjoy eggnog. And enjoy, can you enjoy fruitcake? I don't know. That might not, that might be unbiblical. Um, enjoy presents. Enjoy a decorated tree. Enjoy a Christmas pageant or concert. Enjoy the people that are in and out of, out of your house or that you get to hang out with. Enjoy it enjoy it, wonder at it, look at it, but let it be a gateway for your worship. Number two, lesson number two. This Christmas, receive the greatest gift, the life of Jesus. Verse four, in Him was life. Do you know that that's never been said 
about any other person in all of history. In him was life. Lots of people have lived a good life. Lots of people have taught about life. Lots of people have pointed to how to have your best life now. Lots of people have shown us life. Lots of people have saved a life. But only Jesus gets this phrase. In him was life. In him was life. What a bold statement. That word life, I've talked about this before. I'll say it again. This in, in Greek, the Bible, the New Testament was written in Greek. In Greek, there's three words for the word life. In English, we only got one word, life. They got three words. And if you, and if you can kind of learn the three words, it can help you a little bit when you're looking at things in the New Testament. So there's bios. Bios is just physical, I'm alive, right? And then there's suke, psychology. So that's often connected to the soul or the internal life. So bios, the external life. Suke, sort of the, the intellectual soul life. And then there's this word zoe, zoe life. Zoe life, that's the word John's using here. John's going to use that word 36 times in this book. Zoe life in the New Testament is always used to mean the life of God, divine life. You see, every human being is born with bios and suke, aren't they? You're, you're born and, and, and you, you eat and you drink and you, you, you walk around and you can see you, like, you're, you're alive. And then, and then we see even in little babies, we start to see their psychological life, their internal life, a little personality starts to come out. And we say, yep, they've got a bios and they've got a suke. But what nobody is born with is Zoe life. You see, Zoe life has to be received. Zoe life is a gift that Jesus alone is offering. In him was Zoe. Now, we could say in Jesus was Bios and Suke too. He's the source of it all. Because remember verse 3, out of Jesus comes everything. So you owe Jesus for your Bios and your Suke. But maybe you're sitting here today and you have not yet received his Zoe, divine life, eternal life, abundant life. That's what Jesus is offering to us this morning. Jesus doesn't just point to life. He didn't come and say, hey, if you follow my eight-step path, you'll have a good life. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say, hey, in order to find life, make sure that you obey the laws of God, the Ten Commandments, or all of the wisdom in this book. He didn't say that either. He didn't say, like the Greeks, figure out the instruction manual, figure out the logos, solve the puzzle of the logos. He didn't say that, did he? You know what he said? He said, I am life. You want to live? Receive me. Verse 12, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to be called the children of God. 
Do you have Zoe life this morning? I know you got bios. I can see y'all breathing. Some of you are still awake. <laughs> I assume you got some suke going on, right? You've probably got a personality. You've probably got some issues. <laughs> but I don't know if you've got Zoe. Only God knows for sure. You and God. Do you have Zoe life? Zoe life will save you. You see, here's the thing, guys. Like we said, we're all born dead. When it comes to the spiritual life, we're all born dead. Even when it comes to bios, we're all born dying, aren't we? As soon as you're born, you start dying. Spiritually, you're born dead. Dead in our trespasses and sins, the Apostle Paul says. Jesus' Zoe life, this receivable gift, will take away the death-inducing sin curse that is inside of you that separates you from God. You see, God is a righteous and holy God that has said, this is the standard. This is the standard. The standard is perfection. Anybody that does not attain to perfection is dead, is spiritually dead. That's bad news. That's what we call the bad news. But the Bible isn't just bad news, is it? The Bible is good news. Jesus is good news. God loves us so much that he said, I know none of y'all can make it up that ladder. It's that greased pole that those cadets are trying to climb, right? They get a little bit up and they slip back down, get a little bit up and they slip back down. That's your life. Perfection, guys, perfection. Anybody in here perfect yet? No. But God loves us so much that he said, I'm going to send God to rescue you from God. God sent God to rescue you from God. That's the good news. God has a standard that demands separation. But God rejected separation and said, I'll come get you. I'm really good at climbing that pole. I'm the best ladder climber in the universe. And so Jesus Christ is God coming, living as us, climbing the ladder of perfection for us, climbing the greasy pole for us so that we can then claim him as our substitute and receive his record, his righteousness as our own. That's the best gift ever. What are you going to unwrap this year that's better than that? Nothing. Nothing. Not only will Jesus' life save you, Jesus' life will enlighten you. Look at what he says. In him was life. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. No, John, that's backwards. It's supposed to be the other way. Light creates life, right? You know, eighth grade science, man. Without light, there's no life. If you got light, then, then life can come. No. John says, no. It's the other, it actually starts the other way around. Everything comes from a life. The sun came from a life. Water came from a life. Plants came from a life. 
Human beings came from a life. Life gives us light. Life, His life enlightens our life. John 10.10, He calls it the abundant life. You see, when we receive Jesus' life, it just it helps us to see. Now we see the, 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 the shingles come off our eyes, the blinders come off, the mask comes off, and we can see for the first time, we can see reality. We can see what's really important. We can see how we're supposed to live. It doesn't mean everything's great. It doesn't mean all your problems go away. But what it does is when you have Jesus, it helps everything to be put into perspective. Because everything that's creating your problem, everything that seems to be withheld from you, is snatched away from you, taken away from you, it was never supposed to be your salvation anyway. It was never supposed to be your ultimate anyway. And so when I have Jesus, when I have the ultimate, I'm, a, I'm now able to put everything else in its proper place. My family can just be my family. They don't have to be my salvation my job, my career can just be my career. It's not my identity. It's not my life. Do you see it? My, my um, reputation, my status, can, it can just be that. It can just be that. It can be what it is. Everything can just be what it is. It's not God. It doesn't, it doesn't have to dictate everything I do. It can just be what it is. The game can just be the game. The piano can just be the piano. It doesn't, music doesn't have to be your, your, your slave master. The relationship, the boyfriend, the girlfriend, they can just, they can just be that. They don't, have to, they don't have to control everything about you. How do you know when these things are controlling you? When, you're, when your love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, what am, I, what am I quoting? Come on, Sunday schoolers, what am I quoting? fruits of the Spirit. When those things are controlled by another person or by a situation, you know you have taken God's good gift and turned it into God. When, when that relationship becomes all of my joy and all of my peace and all of my patience, or when that job becomes all of my joy and all of my peace and all of my gentleness or lack thereof, then I know that these things aren't just those things anymore. They've, they've taken over. And I need to get them back into perspective. Jesus is life. Why? Because only Jesus is perfectly good. For something to give your life meaning, it has to have two things. It has to be perfectly good and it has to last forever. It has to be perfectly good, and it has to last forever. If it's good but doesn't last forever, eh, okay, that was nice. Thanksgiving's over, now what? Christmas, oh yay, Christmas. And then by 2 p.m. on Christmas, what are you thinking? <sighs> now what? Let's go to the movies. <laughs> it just ends. It might be good, but not if something's eternal, it lasts forever, but it's not good. We call that hell, right? We call that hell. That doesn't give my life meaning. That doesn't help me. I need it to be both. I need it to be good, and I need it to last forever. Guess what, guys? There's only one thing in the universe that's perfectly good and lasts forever. 
God. And God has come as Jesus, and guess what He's offering to you? I shouldn't say there's only one thing. There's actually millions of things. All of those who are in Christ are also perfectly good and eternal. Are you in Christ? If you are, have you received the gift? Have you opened up the gift of of Jesus Christ and His saving life? If you have, then guess what? You are now also perfectly good and perfectly eternal. You say, sure don't feel like it because tonight I'm going to be really, really bad and tomorrow I die. But guess what? In Christ, what will happen to you? You will resurrect. You will resurrect and you will live in eternal glory with Jesus Christ, your Savior, in His life, forever perfectly good, forever perfectly alive. And what does that mean for now? Start living it now. If you're a Christian, start today. Start today. Don't just survive, thrive. How do you know what your life is? What would you die for? I would die for blank. What goes in your blank? That's your life, right? When we ask Jesus that question, Jesus, what would you die for? What does he put in the blank? He puts two things in the blank. Jesus answers the question this way. Hey, Jesus, what would you die for? He says, I would die for the glory of God, and I would die for the good of mankind. I would die for the glory of God, and I would die for Susan. I would die for the glory of God, and I would die for Maddie. I would die for the glory of God, and I would die for Sherry. I would die for the glory of God, and I would die for you. That's his life. That's his life. And the more you let that soak in, that Jesus would die for you, that he would give his life for you, the more you let that soak in this Advent season, the more you will be able to live the same. Are you willing to live for the glory of God and for the good of others, knowing that Jesus has offered you that through himself? Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, your life is the greatest gift ever. You've offered it to us in all of its fullness, and you've offered it to us for free. I, I remember in Isaiah when, when, the, when God says, God, when you say, come, come drink from the fountain that never runs dry. Come eat the bread that costs no money. Jesus, you are the fountain. You are the bread. God, may we receive your gift today. If if there's someone here who hasn't, let this be the day. Let this be the day. The greatest Christmas ever. God, for those sitting here that would say, I have that. I have received the gift. God, would you remind us again of what took Jesus from heaven to earth to the cross, your glory, our good. Now, 
our sins washed away, eternal life is ours. Help us engage those around us from that same glory and goodness, from our eternality. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.